This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 131, Keeping Mentally and Physically Stimulated During Quarantine, with our guest, Lisa Wentz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. We have a special guest today, Lisa Wentz. She prepares speakers to influence, educate, and motivate their audiences. She has an extensive background in psychology, professional acting training, and live performance, has a master's degree in voice and speech studies from the UK, and is the founder of the San Francisco Voice Center, and has since coached public speaking clients from 37 countries. Lisa is also the author of Grace Under Pressure, a masterclass in public speaking. In fact, we spoke with Lisa back last May, episode 118, appropriately entitled Grace Under Pressure, a masterclass in public speaking. Lisa Wentz, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're speaking to us from Benicia, California, which is just outside San Francisco. I understand that San Francisco and I guess all of California is in lockdown. How is that affecting you? Uh, It's hard. It's difficult. And I think it's difficult for most people to feel isolated the way that you can in a situation like this. That's what prompted me to recently write an article about staying mentally and physically stimulated during this time. Uh, when we don't know how long it's going to last for, I'm seeing um, and experiencing myself feelings of isolation, sometimes a little loss of hope, not knowing how things are going to affect us economically and so forth. But, you know, if you want a general answer, I think most people are doing okay on the physical side of things. We are keeping our distance. We're doing what the healthcare professionals tell us to do with social distancing, uh, even when we do go out, trying to get exercise where we can, which looks like the popular places to do that are uh, less crowded parks and um, green belts. And we're lucky here in California that we do have so many beaches and mountains and places where we can go and not have to necessarily come in contact with people and risk spreading the virus. So, or coming in contact with the virus. So I'm seeing a lot of people who are keeping up some routine and doing well with it. That's what really motivated me to connect with you again was I saw your article on LinkedIn, again, staying mentally and physically stimulated during quarantine. And it just really hit me. And I was wondering, what was the moment? What was the epiphany for you that said, I need to write about this. I need to share this information with the world. The moment that it hit me was a few days after... London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, said we're going to go into shelter in place. And she was very strong about it. I had no problem with that, agreed with that. Um, And my office is right there in downtown San Francisco. That was the the preemptive. But the moment it really hit me was having a client session over Zoom, over, you know, the Internet, and feeling really great about the work we were doing. I ended my hour-long session with him, and I felt a renewed sense of hope. I felt um, things are going to be okay. And then I thought, wait a minute, we're not just trying to take care of ourselves physically here, wash our hands vigorously, keeping the social distancing, going shelter in place, 
making sure things in the home are, are cleaned out, bleach and whatnot, little bits of. Um, we're not just doing that. We need to stay mentally stimulated. We have to continue to do our work. Or if we unfortunately have already been laid off or have lost a lot of work, to start to rebuild or to pivot our careers in some way that keeps us mentally and physically engaged, not just physically healthy, like I was talking about our physical exercise, but really, you know, the what we are doing to not feel frozen. How is that affecting you? What does that look like for you? So for me, my journey in this past week or so of being in pretty isolated, what I've noticed is if I'm going into news overload, uh, seeking out positive information, which we don't have yet, about the virus and how it's affecting us culturally and economically, I'm noticing that I am getting too much news overload, too much mental, the wrong kind of mental stimulation, which starts to turn into panic and fear. And then it affects me physically. I start to feel physically frozen. And I guess that's what panic is, right? How do we combat that? There's lots of information online, lots of articles being written about you know, limit your news intake because it's, it can be too much. Get outdoors, take your walks, make sure you're in contact with your friends and loved ones. I agree with all of that. But the piece that was missing that I felt I wanted to write about was that one piece, which is we also have to keep learning. We have to um, make sure that we are still pursuing things that interest us. We have to give our self-care our mental self-care time during the day so that we can combat or balance out some of that worry, which is inevitable right now. When I first looked at the title and then read your article, what I was first thinking was that we need to find things that are mentally and physically stimulating, but there's also the extreme which causes. So if you don't have enough mental stimulation, you maybe feel a sense of loss, but then if you have too much mental stimulation, then all of a sudden you start going into overload. One needs to find some sort of balance there. Right. And I think it's balance and it's choices. Do you want to make the choice to watch a news channel for four hours with some hope that there's going to be good news? You know, that's not the kind of mental stimulation you need. Maybe you only need a little bit of check-in on news, or maybe you need to read it and not watch it. Because watching somebody else's emotional angst or outbursts or anger, whatever, can also then affect us, right? So I think a lot of this is about choices. What are the best choices for you right now? And like I said, for me, I know that even if things are going great, we don't have a weird pandemic going on. I always need to be learning something new. I need to be stimulated that in a way that makes me feel good mentally stimulated in a way that makes me feel good. Then for many people, that's reading a book that they might be really be enjoying at the end of the night or um, doing a lot of people do crossword puzzles or things that take us out of the panic and the fear and the worry and help us stay mentally stimulated and focused and help us take this all in at a pace that is tolerable. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I'm starting to see people almost, like I said, take the extremes and some even overstimulation. They're sitting there watching the news on TV while at the same time they're on 
they're on Facebook or whatever social medium they're at. You know, on my Facebook page on the right-hand side where you have chats and you have the numbers there that tells you how many people that of your friends that are online in the chat. And I can't recall the last time I saw three-digit numbers there. I haven't seen so many people in my life actually be on Facebook chat or Messenger at one time. It's incredible. Yeah, right. Because we're we're seeking connection and we're seeking information. That's one thing. Then we're seeking connection. And how are we seeking connection now in the times that we are? Are we doing it through the internet? Are we doing it through a phone? I think that's one of the reasons, I don't know if you saw it, but this lovely video of some Italians singing to each other through their windows um, to keep their, their spirits up because they couldn't come in physical contact anymore. Another thing is that you can maybe find ways doesn't keep you just connected to your device necessarily, um, but still maintain healthy distances. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of trial and error. Is there any thought or any process that you might suggest trying to find that right level of mental and physical stimulation? You know, I don't know. I think that people should, the individual should trust their instinct. What feels right? What makes you feel most calm? You know, I know for me, I feel every morning I'm going out for a hike with my dog in a sort of secluded area and being out in nature is helping me feel calm for sure. And then I'm trying to limit the amount of news I'm watching. But I think that everybody has different levels of tolerance. And it is a little trial and error. Like you said, you've got to trust your instincts. Once you start to feel in your body the angst or the panic, that's your alarm bell saying, nope, this is too much. You need to take that break. You need to walk into your backyard. You need to go put your head out the window, get some fresh air, something to counteract that, you know, get, get out of that little reality that you were in. I think it's important when we think of levels of tolerance, who do we reach out to? And even if it's somebody you love, are they at the same place that you are with the reality of this situation? So I know for me, two of the people I would normally rely on in my life as my solid go-to people are a little bit further behind in terms of acknowledging how much this pandemic is going to affect us economically in the long run, how many people are going to be infected, how many people will likely die, and how long we're going to stay in this quarantine state. Because we have a governor who I think was handling this very well, but he said, you know, this is sort of open-ended right now. And that not knowing leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And so I have some people in my life who are saying, oh, in a few weeks, we're going to be out, things will be back to normal. You know, and for me, I really don't believe that is the reality. Level of tolerance, I can't say to them, hey, look, you're wrong, or try to get into some kind of an argument because maybe where that person is right now is that's all they can deal with right now. And their level of tolerance is telling them that they can't imagine being in quarantine for three more months. So, do you know what I mean? So, I think that these levels of tolerance are not just about how we're allowing our own information in with news and with other things but also with conversations and being aware that the person we're speaking to may be at a very different place than we are right now. And maybe that's not the right person right now. Maybe your another friend is the right person that understands and can go and talk to you in a way that you feel more heard and that you can hear them because you may be at the same level of tolerance. That makes absolute sense. You're referring to someone who 
is usually your rock. I, I can certainly relate to that because a number of people that I know are either in the speaking business or the training business. Typically, they're usually very strong, powerful, positive. Things started out that way for them, but all of a sudden now this new reality is starting to set in and they're having their fears and their doubts because all of a sudden their income is now dropping to zero. Perhaps they might be afraid of their of their health situation. And so someone who you would normally rely on as that person to go to now is that person that needs you. Regardless as to how, I'll use the word strong in a, in a literal term, you need to be able to be there for others and just be sometimes just willing to listen, let them vent, let them talk. I'm finding that I've already done that with others uh, the last little while and vice versa us sharing with them and them sharing with us. Yeah. And I think another thing that people can do right now is help others that aren't necessarily in their life. Meaning that, you know, I have some friends that are willing to do grocery shopping for people who are disabled or elderly, and it's a little harder for them right now, or just in general, Um, that can give you a sense of purpose, almost like what I was saying, a sense of learning something new pursuing something that interests us. A sense of purpose is also really important. For me, it's I've just scheduled a uh, with the blood drive so I could give, um, since I'm type O, give blood. So helping others in, in, in ways that we can right now, I think maybe be very helpful, not just for them, but for us as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's great that you're able to uh, to do that. Myself, I'm sort of helping a few people online, getting them <laughs> set up using Zoom. Yeah. It's kind of ironic because I know I've been trying to get people to use this for a few years now, and now all of a sudden they want to learn how to use it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was also thinking how realities have changed even when it comes to just even watching TV. I know you, when we were speaking offline, you were sharing even how unusual it was watching uh, Stephen Colbert. Oh, yeah. So Stephen Colbert is usually for me and for many people, he has quite a lot of viewers, I think around 40 million or did at the height of his show. His late night show is upbeat. It's fun. It's positive. Even when he's making fun of people he doesn't particularly care for in politics, which, you know, comedians do all the time. And that's their game. It's still he has a spin on things that's just makes everything just feel like, you know, you can get a good laugh out at least. And seeing him having to himself go into quarantine and be filming from his backyard and then filming from his bathtub in a bubble bath and a suit in a bubble bath, which was sort of funny. You can tell a little bit that it looks like the life has gone out of him a little, you know, he's just coming across as just doesn't have that extra energy he typically has, which he obviously was partially getting from his audiences and being able to, and this is probably true, by the way, for a lot of people who come from the theater background, he comes from an improv background and theater background. It's a constant give and take with live audience. And suddenly that's been ripped out of his life for temporary, but ripped out of his life. And now he just has a camera. So there are no laughs. There is no immediate rapport. There is no community and camaraderie for his delivery anymore for his sense of purpose is probably being affected. You know, first of all, by the way, I don't know him. I'm just interpreting what, you know, what I'm seeing. And I wouldn't surprise me if many people who are on television right now who are used to having an audience, some of these late night comedians, talk show hosts that have a comedy background, feel that way because for so long they've had this sense of community in their studios. 
Yeah. You, you can't do anything but feel bad for the guy, right? Because you know he's trying. Oh, trying so hard, trying so hard uh, to make it still a funny, upbeat show, to to show up for people who probably really look forward to his show. He, like everyone else, will get through this time. We will get through this time. Um, I'm not going to cry a river for him, though, however, because <laughs> I mean, let's also be honest, and I think he would appreciate this. He's not one of the people that's having to worry about being evicted next month. He's not somebody who suddenly has children to feed and can't afford daycare and can't afford, you know, these kinds of things. So I think is there's also sort of a funny slant there. Yes, my heart goes out to him because he deserves to have a community just like everybody else. But there are people a lot worse off right now, for sure. No, absolutely. And in fact, uh, you hear about quite often when disaster strikes, uh, a number of the celebrities and musicians get together and do a concert. Uh, Now what's happening, of course, is that a lot of artists and musicians now, especially the ones that pretty much live from gig to gig, they're stuck at home. Some of them are actually doing live stream and there's an opportunity to actually help and give back by making donations and giving donations to them. Yes, absolutely. I have many friends that are musicians and they were the first in my life last week, the first wave of people who said, I'm suddenly without an income for the next several months because all of their concerts were canceled, whether they're performers or whether they're sound engineers or or the lighting directors and whatnot. But live performance is changing. It's going to be changed for many months and I'm not even sure how it will come back in what form it will come back. You know, will we still have the same kind of crowded large gatherings that we're having now in indoor spaces? I don't know. But um, these are the kinds of things as a public speaking coach I'm thinking about. You know, all of the speakers I had that were about to go to South by Southwest or other conferences um, are not not doing those anymore because they've all canceled. Yeah. Like I think the way travel changed after 9-11, I think the world in many respects is going to change after this. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I was just wondering, you know, despite all the facts that are going on, people seem to be still gathering. And it's not just the Gen Zs or the Gen Zs that are out there on the beaches of Florida. There's still groups that are attending church services. There was a an actor recently who said that I'm just going to keep visiting people. Are you think they're just being defiant or is this part of their denial process? You know, I think part of it depends on geography, but you know, we're talking about such a huge space right now. I'm like I said, I'm in California. California is a very large state. It could be in its own country. 40 million people are here. I think a lot of Californians are, are really starting to get with the shelter in place. And you can see it in the pictures of Los Angeles where the freeways are empty, uh, San Francisco where the streets are empty and so forth. I think some of the states that the coronavirus hasn't really hit them yet don't necessarily have leaders that are enforcing a shelter in place yet, right? So they're taking this a little bit lighter. They might be, I don't want to speak for them, but they might be having that, oh, it's happening over there mentality sort of like most Americans did in January, oh, it's happening in China, which is so far away. And we don't think about a pandemic coming here and coming here so fast and so furiously, right? So I think it could be a little of that, the over thereism, <laughs> the sort of <laughs> it's happening somewhere else. It's not affecting me yet. So that may be why 
people are still gathering and the Florida part. I can't speak to that. I don't have that. I don't know. Um, in church, I can see why people would go to church. I, I can see why th- this longing for community and normalcy and routine and connection to spirituality and community is, is so strong. So to recap that, I think it depends on where they are, how much the coronavirus has hit that particular state or the particular county or the particular country. Um, but we need to learn from others. For us over here in North America, we cannot ignore what's happened and what's happening in Italy. We are only about less than two weeks behind them in terms of the pandemic hitting us. And for people in the United States, many of us acted just like they did, which was to keep going out and keep having close contact with people. You know, we have to be able to look look at what's happening in, in terms of other countries that are dealing with this a little bit better and um, hope that our leaders here will start implementing a little bit more directive on the non-gathering, you know, not gathering more social distancing, shelter in place if you have to. Um, but we do need that leadership, I think. Okay. And we were talking earlier about trying to keep up our energy and, and being physically stimulated. There are going to be times where we can't be positive and upbeat all the time. There are being, there are going to be times where we're going to be down. What would you say to someone or what would you say to yourself when you have those moments of, just those moments? I think the advice to reach out to a friend or loved one who understands you and has the capacity to hear you, you know, they have that, they're emotional, emotionally available to know who those people are that you can contact is the best thing. If you're in shelter in place or quarantine, because you, that's what you're needing. You're needing some human contact. For some people, it may be things that they can do in isolation, like writing something out, um, like journaling or even speaking something out or going to things that you know that are familiar to you that do cheer you up. It could be, like I said before, reading a book or internet gives you so much now, revisiting a favorite mm-hmm. show from when you were a child or an activity when you were a child. Pick up a paintbrush, pick up some pen and paper, draw, do the things that are fulfilling to you. Um, that's what I would say to help us you know, not go too low in terms of our emotion. And I think... You know, the mental physical part is we are mental physical creatures, you know, humans are mental physical. That's how we function. And when we go down, we go down with both and we go up with both. You know, it's funny as a public speaking coach, one of the things that's almost always overlooked when people start becoming speakers is they overlook breathing. And when we panic, we overlook breathing. When we go into fight, fight or flight, we stop breathing, really. Good mental physical stimulation would be to do some breathing exercises, to warm up your voice, to get more oxygen into the brain, to calm panic or feeling of uh, adrenaline rush that's not wanted. Practice a little mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness is good, but also I think probably more aggressive breathing exercises than people are used to doing, you know, the kind that you would do if you were an actor. Okay. Is there an example you could share with us? Sure. So a good example is to be, you could stand, you could be seated, or you could be laying down in semi-supine. That means your your feet are on the floor. You're not fully flat um, and your knees are up. And you slowly let out a breath and then hold just for a second or two and then breathe the breath back in. Feel your belly expand, your ribs expand. Once you have a very full breath, let it out on a very, very slow X. So the S would sound just like S as in Sam. S- 
<laughs> I'm trying to do this. <laughs> um, it's from British Theater Training. That exercise, what it does is it slows down our heart rate a little bit if we're having an adrenaline rush. It gets more oxygen into the lungs, therefore into the brain and into the blood system and all that. And it helps us kind of shake off the, the nervous energy or the anxiety. Wow, that's great. It's about slowing, slowing, slowing down. Um, and I think self-care, it's part of self-care, taking care of yourself, uh, can go a long way. These seem to be all of the things that we're supposed to be doing anyway in a regular, normal situation, but we just never seem to get to because life gets in the way. Yeah, life gets in the way. We prioritize other things. And now that some of us are panicking, it's easy to forget. We seek answers. We seek solutions. Uh, or we get feel paralyzed. So it's easy to forget that some of the things that we need to do is to be healthy or is to eat healthy and try to stay away from um, things that we think will comfort us, like alcohol. I, I mean, I drink. I'm not trying to say you can't have a drink or anything. But if you start overdoing it out of panic, then you wake up with hangovers, and that's no good. I had a friend the other day say to me that he suddenly realized that he was drinking wine as if wine was a cure for the coronavirus <laughs> oh no he's like I, you know, he's like he's having two or three extra glasses a night than he would normally have and hey we're all human we're just trying to get through this how we can but best thing to do yes a lot of self-care taking care of yourself well, this has all been very very helpful and quite enlightening maybe you could share with us some of the things that you're doing during this time period thank you for asking from the client I referred to earlier, he had mentioned that his company is switching over to virtual meetings, of course, and they'd always had in-person meetings before. And he said it was causing so much anxiety that they were barely communicating, that so much time is spent not communicating what they need to be talking about, but actually communicating about how frustrated they are. So I thought, well, one of the things I can definitely offer, and I think this is a good thing to take people's anxiety down, is to help either groups of people or individuals who now have to communicate through Zoom or some other online platform uh, for meetings or whether it's person to person or larger meetings to do the coaching there because communication skills, it's not just about being on a big stage in front of a live audience. Public speaking is the same, some of the same skills I would teach somebody who's doing a Ted talk. I might work with somebody over Zoom how do you lead a meeting successfully? How do you facilitate a successful meeting over, over an online platform? How do you uh, give a speech over an online platform? Conferences in the next six months will definitely be online. Um, so those are some of the offers that I'm, I'm trying to make for people so that they can not have to deal with all the stress they're dealing with, plus having to deal with how do I suddenly perform well through a computer, which I'm not used to doing. <laughs> And, you know, and then in terms of personal and professional development, I think always working on your communication skills is a good thing. And, and I still occasionally teach accent reduction and a few other things that are very easily taught online and successful. So I'm just trying to reach to, out to people. And, and I even put out on my newsletter that if somebody just needs to talk, somebody needs that 15 minutes of just being able to talk, they can reach out to me. I can also just work them. And what's the best way for people to reach you? The best way to reach me, uh, 
directly would be my email, which is on my website, lisawentz.com, L-I-S-A-W-E-N-T-Z.com. That's the easiest and fastest way to reach me. Lisa, this has been absolutely great. In fact, I do encourage anyone who hasn't previously listened to episode 118. This is where Lisa speaks about her book, Grace Under Pressure, a masterclass in public speaking, and she offers a lot of valuable tips in that extended episode. Lisa Wentz, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the program today. I wish you all the best. Stay well, stay safe. Thank you. You too. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.